listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from MegaWin Kill Guard Studios. Here we go with Bass Edge Radio, the July 15 edition, headed to you right now. Aaron, what a wild time it's been. I'm still on the road and will be for another couple weeks, but uh, that's kind of what the world of bass fishing is all about, traveling around and getting to do all kinds of fun stuff. I almost felt like you should have opened uh, Live from New York. It's Bass Edge Radio. (laughs) I mean, like the old Saturday Night Live, because that's I think that's where you're at. And and before we dive off into that, again, just want to point out that all things Bass Edge brought to us in part by our friends at MegaWare Keel Guard, the battery guard, cutting down on that vibration of those expensive lithium and uh, batteries that we all need now yeah. to run all those electronics, the skeg guard, the scuff buster, the first do-it-yourself keel protector, the list goes on and on. Be sure to visit them at keelguard.com. But Kurt, you are warming up for, I shouldn't say warming up, you're probably yeah, cooling we're, down. <laughs> so. Well, we're, we're dead nuts right on this thing, actually. We're just sneaking in an episode here of Bass Edge Radio up here in New York uh, in the midst of the the youth fishing camp here on uh, Oneida Lake. It's been a long time here on Oneida. I feel like I'm very intimate with the waterway as I was previously, but now that much to the nth degree. I've been here for quite some time, but enjoying. You got those bass names yet? Yes, I absolutely do. I can watch them follow them around the lake from when they were all caught in the open. Now they're all down by the ramp and they're starting, <laughs> starting to migrate back into the other haunt. So it's it's pretty interesting to watch when you spend that much time on a body of water, Aaron. You, you really do become fairly in tune with what's going on and sometimes you can lose it but then recover it really quickly yeah, so it's yeah. it's a lot of fun it's it, it's it it's actually a, a great time and before we shift gears and take us further south on another topic uh interestingly sure. i think it was on bass blaster it's probably all over but where i saw it was on bass blaster the new york state record smallmouth <laughs> Did that yeah. happen while you were up there? No, that that happened just before. Um, I guess it was like around the end of June. But, you know, things are just now certified and really getting out there a little bit more and becoming official that, uh, man, a gentleman caught an eight pound, six ounce, basically smally out of Cayuga Lake in a derby over there. They had a 30 plus pound bag, but irregardless, an eight, six previous record, eight pounds, four ounces. Dude, that is freaking ginormous and who would have thought it would have come out of Cayuga with yeah. all the giant smallies yeah. up there from Erie to uh, Ontario St. Lawrence River but the Finger Lake Cayuga which is a big finger lake not quite the biggest but man how cool was that eight pounds six ounces I can't imagine what I, I mean you might as well hook into a Volkswagen and try and reel it in because uh, you know that size of fish would just have to be just phenomenal yeah, I think it's an absolute beast, man. And if you miss this kind of news, got to relay again, as we always do to the listeners, that you got to check out Bass Blaster. I mean, Jay Kumar always staying on top of everything. If anything in the tournament world, even outside of the tournament world, for like this, for example, you know, he's always on top of it, giving you the goodies. Stay tuned to Bass Blaster. You can sign up for it at BassBlaster.rocks 
or you can just send an email to BassBlaster at BassBlaster.com and Jay will get you signed up to get that uh, Bass Blaster email because, man, yeah. it's a lot of fun to read. Again, his humor is great and uh, he's always got some information that you can't find in other media outlets. So, well, uh, and another, to, another to reason to, to be on that, Kurt, especially right now where we find ourselves, you know, ICAST coming up. I know you're heading all the way from New York and that's why I said before we shift gears and head, head down yes. south. Yes. Interestingly enough, Curious to get your opinion. ICAST, right? It's the tackle retail, you know, tackle industry, if you will. It's the mega show. Last year, the economy was a little different than what it is this year. Thoughts going into that? Yeah, Aaron, I think it's going to be a pretty big show. I'm looking forward to obviously being there with Hayabusa. We'll have a booth there. ICAST last year, they kind of got it kicked back off, but it was, you know, odd times, obviously, with kind of the winding down but lingering effects of uh, the coronavirus going on. And um, I think this is going to be that first year since 2019 that you really kind of get everybody back together. But yeah, July 19th through the 22nd down there in Orlando, Florida. Of course, this show is put on by uh, ASA, uh, the American Sport Fishing Association. So so that's where this whole thing comes to. And if, if folks aren't familiar with ICAST, basically it's all the manufacturers getting together and uh, they have a lot of a lot of meetings going on some retailer and buyers there as well in the retail side. And uh, one of the shows now that kind of kicks off everything, you know, there, there's been a lot of change in in how people promote their products. You know, you got a lot of stuff happening at the Red Crest or the Bassmaster Classic and, of course, ICAST. But now you've got products just coming to market so quick. But uh, ICAST is one of those places where all the manufacturers really kind of get together. And uh, there's a lot of great things to sea fishing trends down there at uh, Orlando, Florida this time of year. And talking about fishing trends and and technology and knowledge base, Florida is certainly, you know, the the ICAST show. But let's stop off in the metropolis of Kansas, where that is the Bass Fishing Education Center, epicenter, according to Yeah, yeah. This guy's beginning to uh, take a uh, regular seat here at the mic, and we're interested to talk to him. We're going to break down some more electronics and uh, I I don't say electronics this go around, but where you put your electronics, y'all stay tuned. It's just going to be a fun conversation with Justin Russell. Hang tight right here on Bass Edge Radio. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. As we mentioned there just before the break, we've got uh, Justin Russell with us today, man, bringing you the most knowledgeable folks in the industry, I feel anyway, Aaron, you certainly kind of agree with that. And I'm sure Justin does as well. But man, we've leaned on this guy several times over the last 12 months or so. But uh, Justin is from Russell Marine Products in El Dorado, Kansas, and he's going to bring us some knowledge on electronic mounts. Man, Justin, thanks for being back again with us here on Bass Edge Radio. 
Oh, absolutely. Love doing the show and love being on here and answering questions and helping people out. Well, Justin, as Kurt alluded to, we have talked trolling motors, live sonar, and today we are going to break down the hardware piece, which uh, specifically electronic mounts. You know, there are several great companies, I guess, out there to name a few and most popular, in my opinion, Boat Logic, Precision Sonar, Bass Boat Technologies, and a few other like ProSize Outdoors Panther. I'm interested first to hear what brand seems to roll out the door with frequency there at Russell Marine Products. You know, a lot of it's going to come down to customer personal preference. Um, and, and they ask a lot of the installation shops, including us, kind of what we prefer. You know, Van at Baspo Technologies was kind of one of the first original guys running these mounting systems on bass boats and stuff. So, you know, he's probably got one of the most wide array options of boats just over the past decade or 12 years of doing this. So we've just kind of always gone with bass boat technologies, but there are a lot of options out there, obviously, depending on the boat model to choose and go with. That's a great point. And, and I think we're going to touch on uh, Van a little bit more as this progresses. But let's first talk about price ranges, right? I mean, we're spending a lot of money on boats a lot of money on electronics. By the time we get to considering mounting these things, where the wallet is getting slim, right, Justin? I mean, oh, absolutely. This, this but, is kind of one of those last little pieces of the puzzle that we really kind of think about to, you know, create some comfort in in what we're trying to do out there on the water. Price range. Brands like Precision, Bass Boat Technologies, a little more in the medium range. Boat Logic, much more expensive. There seem to me, you know, a much They're greater price. Tier. Yeah, top tier. There you go. Thanks for that. Yep. And and there's some quality adjustments, or are there some quality adjustments that you're seeing based on these price differences? You know, I haven't seen anything in terms of a difference in quality when it comes to functionality. Okay. All of them seem to be really, really robust. It's more of a personal preference from an aesthetic look. And again, what that offering is in terms of what are your needs. So for example, Boat Logics and Bass Boat Technologies really do more of the more custom kind of look and feel with three mounting systems on the bow. I've even seen bands done a three mounting system for a console unit before in the past. So some of the thing that I think is a little bit ironic, although maybe the electronics mounting portion of a purchase tends to be one of the last considerations, it's really one of the more important ones, in my opinion. I mean, Several of these guys, especially running up north on Erie, you talk about big water or spearing waves. The last right. thing you want is losing three 12-inch units off the front of your boat because you had a mount that failed. <laughs> you know, you're talking about potentially, you know, three to $10,000 just going over the side. You know, I think I think we had a Seth Fighter or maybe it was Brandon Polinick a, a couple of years ago actually lost a couple of units from spearing a wave that I think was found and recovered by another Elite Series angler, ironically I, enough. I do recall. I think that was up at Champlain. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It was Fighter over there at Champlain. He had a great tournament. And then when somebody found his unit, somehow it turned into a miraculous recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And and to allude this to the, the thing that I'll say about the mounting system that's been a really good thing it's also changed the way the boat manufacturers have done some production runs on boats when these things first came out in 2010 2012 era with dual mounting systems on consoles you know it was a very revolutionary thing i mean there was a lot of buzz in the industry of why do you need to at the console you know and we saw more guys going to that when they saw the benefit but 
the boat consoles weren't really engineered to hold that much weight with wind drag or condition drag or wave issues and stuff like that. But we're seeing that now where consoles have more fiberglass on them or they're fiberglass reinforced where these mounts mount to to offer that. Look at Ranger boats, for example, and some of the new Tritons are offering dual mounting systems already built into the consoles of their models now. So it's, it's becoming a new thing that's being integrated from the manufacturers now like we've never seen before. Yeah, you, you talk a little bit about the throwback on that. And, and I recall the first time I put two units on my boat and I had the ram mount, right? The rubber ball mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the yep. with the twist on, little uh, clamp. Constantly tidying it down. It's moving. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. And, and things have changed so dramatically, as you mentioned, many times, obviously for the better. But it, and, and it seems like it just continues like everything in bass fishing, just evolving fairly, fairly quickly. Sure, absolutely, as, as a, the industry as a whole is, you know. Justin, when you look at different mounts available that's on the market, do you find a particular brand getting more information from the field and adjusting better to the angler's needs? You, you know, for example, I know that Van, owner for Bass Boat Technologies, is he's an avid bass angler and really yes. leans heavily on pro staff feedback for his designs. you got any thoughts on that? You know, Van's probably one of the most intertwined ones in the industry from an owner standpoint, you know, with what he's done. He's fished the tour as a co-angler. He's been around a lot of the pros. He's looked at feedback. But he also has a great relationship building, too, with boat manufacturers. So when a new model's coming out, he has a lot of the 3D scans and has the ability to make mounts and make them work right when the new boats are unveiled. He was working with Camus before their first boats came out, and he's been doing it with a lot of different manufacturers on that stuff. So he's kind of been one of the most forefront of having the latest and greatest models out that work with new boat models. And just from a customer service standpoint, I just know Van, and, and I've had this with Precision Sonar too, don't get me wrong. They've all been over backwards when we've needed something in a rush, and they've all been willing to help us out, and they've been instrumental with that. I feel that the Bass Boat Technologies is a little bit more aesthetically appeasing. It's a little prettier. It's a little bit nicer looking. The Boat Logics is probably a step above that. It's got a little bit more custom. There's They got their logo engraved in it, you know, laser etched in it and stuff. And it's it's kind of a cooler look. But again, it comes down to that price point. And from somebody who owns a business that we manufacture some of our own products in the industry too, it's sometimes difficult finding that functionality, that price point and that aesthetic all in one and price it affordably. And I feel like that that upper middle ground of that bass boat technologies really has kind of fit that market for say. I haven't had a lot of customers complain that they don't like how it looks or it's too bulky. But then on the reverse end of it, the precision sonar is a little bit more basic of a functionality. And it's also a little bit different mounting platform as well, too. But again, kind of to each their own from a customer preference. We've had great feedback on honestly all three major brands of mounting brackets from customers. I don't I don't hear a lot yeah. of complaints about it. Well, as long as the functionality is there you and know, I was gonna say the functionality is is probably for most anglers I would think paramount but now when we see you know high dollar gas like we've seen the economy's changed a little bit uh price point probably starts to weigh a little heavily on uh on, a, <laughs> yeah. on the purchaser's mind I should say well it absolutely does I still find it somewhat ironic though that guys are willing to drop fifteen or twenty thousand dollars on a full bow to stern installation, power poles and electronics and forward facing sonar and trolling motors 
and they want to find, you know, in their eyes, the cheapest mounts possible, which again, I think that's kind of <laughs> the biggest mistake you could do. Yeah. You know, you need to have that robust stuff. You want it to last. Well, yeah. and it makes you wonder uh, if I was their insurance agent, I'd be making sure that they had the proper <laughs> mounting, you know, system oh, on yeah. their boat. That's, Absolutely. A, that's a great Absolutely. point. Great point. I, I use the precision sonar for the last many years and uh, not for any other reason that just when I had my Ranger and started putting the whole thing together a few years back when I went to the dual units and, and, I, and I just have a 16 on the console and I've got, you know, the dual units up on the bow. It just worked right. And for me it was just great easy installation and sure. um yep. you know just when i perused everything on the website i don't know it just worked out right so i think all sure. these three are great units uh or, or great types of setup and, and there's a few other options out there we meant it in, mentioned in the opening precise outdoors panther i believe that that's a company that you kind of introduced me to justin they're out of canada so that they've got yeah. some more basic kind of stuff as well right there is and there's another uh it's a kind of a lesser known company. Geiger Tech does some pretty innovative mounting and stuff okay. as well, too. Um, it's even going to be a tier above Boat Logics, actually. Oh, wow. uh, but I believe they're from Canada as well, too. I actually saw them on uh, the Johnson Brothers boat when I was fishing a co-angler on the tour several oh, years yeah. ago. They were running some mounts on there from that company as well. So Very there's cool. there's some more popping up and coming involved with that for sure. It's just when you have these two, really two ones that have been in the market for a long, long time, and then Boat Logic is really coming on pretty strong, right. it's hard to kind of come up if you don't have the wide beret of boat models, you know, yes. so that's the main thing. Yeah, they've been through that testing platform. Uh, I, I think Absolutely. you're referring to Bass Boat Technologies and, and Precision. They've kind of been around the block a little bit. I know Precision went through an ownership change uh, about yes. a couple years ago, so so there's there's been a little bit of of movement in the industry as far as that, but still a lot of great mounting options, and and hopefully everyone can take some of this information and these brands that we've been mentioning and take a look at them all and uh, see what works out for them. I want to bring up one more thing, Justin, before we let you go. It's been a great conversation here on on these mounting. Uh, brackets looking at that third unit you know up on the bow now many anglers going to the you know 360 with the live and then their regular traditional uh sonar and gps that that you need up there to stay uh on an area but how about the trend now you're starting to see guys lifting that unit up closer to their vision specifically for the live sonar you see this a little more in the crappie world but you're starting to see it creep into the bass side a little bit as well what can you say that you've seen in that realm as far as mounting systems you know there's a couple good companies out there that have these almost telescoping type mounting bracket systems that can bring that live imaging sonar that forward-facing sonar unit closer to you any time that you think you can get an advantage and see something better, of course, a better off you're going to be. My only concern is on some of these mounts, they, they don't necessarily telescope up. They just permanently lift the unit up. You kind of get into a vision problem running down the lake. You're a little bit more susceptible to wind, right. um, wave Waves. action, and stuff <laughs> right. like that. But, you know, we always recommend, because customers always ask us, well, what size unit is best for forward-facing sonar? Or what size unit is best for this? And we always tell them, like, you, you really need to go with the biggest you can afford. If it's a 9-inch unit, then a 9-inch unit. If it's a 12-inch unit or a 16 that's absolutely what we recommend. But getting that unit closer to you, I know James Watson does this. He uses a beatdown mount, which is a telescoping mount that he can get closer to. He loves it when he's, you know, throwing an A-rig or, 
you know, if they're throwing a swim bait or spooning when he really wants to see how the fish are reacting to his lure and stuff, because it's closer. And you don't always have the head bent down kind of thing. I know it's a running joke in our area. You can always tell when somebody's crappie fishing using, you know, forward facing sonar because their heads are always bent down. You know, we always joke <laughs> right. that they're going to have a sore neck at the end of the day. You know? right. That's a fact. I think that's going to be the, the new thing. How, how do you get that live sonar graph mounting system just a little bit closer to see it real explicitly? But this is all great advice, man. You've been uh, another, as always, a great asset to the show. Hopefully uh, Bass Edge Nation can uh, get a little bit more knowledge on these mounting systems, what's available out there where to go look justin any closing thoughts on the topic for our listeners and again let us know how they can find your shop there you russell bet we're, we're located at russellmarineproducts.com eldorado kansas we do full-on installations we're an authorized Garmin, hummingbird and lawrence installer and certified dealer so um the last thing i'll say is just i think the mounting brackets is one of the things you just cannot go cheap on you know you, you don't want to take a 70 80 90 thousand dollar bass boat and put some cheap mounts on there and end up damaging your boat or your unit because you kind of cheaped out on the mounts. I mean, you really want a quality product done here and it doesn't really matter when it's flat calm. When it matters is when it's nasty conditions out there. You got some big rollers, some wind, some rain. That's when it really matters most. All right, Justin. Well, once again, thanks for carving out time to uh, bring us the goods on mounting systems for our electronics. Bass Edge Nation, stay tuned. Kurt and I are going to be right back for our featured angler spotlight. This is MLF Pro Circuit Angler Nick Hatfield. This is MLF Pro Circuit Angler Matt Becker. I am 2022 BASS Elite Series Champion Drew Cook. I am Bass Elite Series Pro Brian New. This is Hill Country Hammer Guide Rick Harris. Stand by for more Bass Edge Radio. Know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. And a first-time guest here on Bass Edge Radio. And gosh darn it, shame on us. You know, prior to him winning the MLF Bass Pro Tour event this past May at Lake the Ozarks, his previous record is nothing but crazy consistent against the best competition in the sport. He's won three BASS Open events, cashed 28 of 35 BASS competition. And that was before you got the uh, everybody got a check days so and he's also fished one year on the mlf pro circuit of course he qualified for the championship that year he's fished three bass master classic geez man the list goes on and on welcome to the show mlf bass pro tour champion jesse wiggins great to have you here on bass edge radio jesse Hey, guys. Thank you all for having me on. Good morning. You made me sound like a professional fisherman when you read off, those, <laughs> when I read off that stuff. 
Yeah, it's been a crazy few years. You know, I hadn't been doing it since but 2017. So to start off pretty decent my career, it's been very blessed, very fortunate. So, yeah, it, uh, it's pretty cool to hear that stuff. Well, you're already in the legend status there, Jesse, and Kurt just rattled off those amazing accomplishments, impeccable record of consistency, which that is what every bass angler, you know, strives for, whether you compete or not, right? You you just want to, every time you launch that boat, maybe on a day off or whatever, just go out there and be able to put something together. And certainly you have done that in short order. What experience do you lean on the most to create that type of resume? You know, I think when it comes down to it, it's probably more of of how I grew up fishing. You know, like I said, I've only been doing it since 2017, but I've been fishing tournaments and fishing like I'm fishing the Bassmaster Classic since I was five years old. You know, we've always been in fishing tournaments around here. And obviously, I know our little jackpot tournaments ain't the same as fishing a, a Bass Pro Tour event, but... The way me and my brother growing up, the way we treated them, that's how we treated them. So we did everything we could to, you know, figure out how to put limits in the boat. And, you know, just growing up here on Smith Lake, it can be a really tough lake at times. So we, you know, we learned how to do several techniques, whether it be square bill or throwing a shaky head or throwing a swim bait, a little swim bait or whatever it took to catch, you know, to get a check or to win the tournament. We was doing it. So I think it may come down to that, just growing up grinding, like as people say that. You always hear about, you know, East Tennessee lakes and all the anglers from East Tennessee. You know, you get a lot of really good anglers from that area and, you know, the North Carolina and the Carolinas. And I really believe it's because the lakes are so tough at certain times of the year. Like, you can't just always go out there and just catch them because I think the guys just learn how to grind and put fish in the boat. And I think it probably comes down to something like that, I guess. I don't know. Or I'm just really, really lucky. I don't care. That's fine with me, too, if it's that. So I'll take either one. I'm going to nick say the luck and uh, just say the skill is at an expert level here. Jesse, congratulations on getting the Bass Pro Tour win there at Lake of the Ozarks. You mentioned growing up fishing so much on Smith Lake. And you mentioned having some remarkable comparisons to uh, Lake of the Ozarks. You know, you hear a lot about this type of thing. You know, somebody goes to a a fishery they haven't spent a whole lot of time with, but they're able to see, you know, these similarities to put that fishing puzzle together more easily. What enabled you to take Smith Lake and vision it at Lake of the Ozarks to have the success that you did there at the Bass Pro Tour event? Yeah, so as soon as I was driving to the lake the first morning of practice, I realized that that the lake, like they're just a mountainous lake, you know, the Highland Reservoir type type lake. So I knew, I, I noticed that immediately. And of course, I've seen like videos and uh, did study on the lake. I knew it had a ton of boat docks. And I knew it had, you know, bluff walls or, you know, transition banks, all that kind of stuff. So when I get there and start fishing, um, immediately I start, you know, that's what I always try to tell people is if you go to a new lake, try to find something that feels at home because you're going to be way more comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, I knew the fish were spawning or they should be. And, it was, you know, the water was 60 degrees and, uh, you know, it was in May. So I knew it was, you know, it was time. So we start fishing and in the area that I'd started in, I always like to be in a little bit dirtier water if it's possible. Like you just, you get away with so much more. You can, you know, catch fish. That, the fish, you catch them before they see you and or they're not looking at you the whole time. So they're, they're not pressured by other anglers. They're not getting cast to the whole time. So. I really wanted to be in an area where you couldn't see them, but I knew they would be spawning. And we do that a lot at home as well, so that's why I was familiar with that. And then it just come down to when you look at the banks, they look identical to how they look at Smith, (laughs) the way the dock cables 
So the lake is really deep, and that's where Smith is. And the docks are all floating docks. So I'm, you know, I'm really familiar with floating docks, and I'm familiar with dock cables. And this dock cables ain't but maybe a, you know an inch around or half inch around dock cable. But for some reason, if they swoop down into the water, or right under the right above the water, or right under the surface of the water, there's fish that use those to spawn. And I, and I noticed that in a little bit of cleaner water. You could go down a hundred yard stretch of bank and you wouldn't see a single fish on the bed and you'd get to the first dock and there'd be a, a bed under that dock cable. And I don't know if they just feel like it's some like a limb or something that's protected. I don't know why they do it, but they do it here too. Except the only difference is here it's spotted bass. Mm-hmm. And in Lake of the Ozarks, it was I caught all largemouth. I know some guys caught some spots, but right. everything I caught was largemouth. But they set up identical to the way our spots did when they went to spawning. So that's when I got in the areas that was a little dingier, and I could just pick them off those dock cables. And if the dock was actually close enough to the bank, the actual back corner of the dock, there was one on it every time, and then also under the walkways. So that's a huge thing. And that, they do that on a lot of lakes, too, is under walkways. But um, that was a huge deal at Ozarks, too. So, I mean, once I figured that out about halfway through the first day of practice, I could literally, I mean, I could get 50, 60 bites a day. Now, they wasn't all scoreables, but, you know, I'd find areas that had bigger fish in it. And uh, luckily, during the tournament, you know, there were bigger ones coming. Well, Jesse, you are known as a shaky head aficionado. And interestingly, Kurt and I were talking off air earlier before we, we got you on the line. And it's been a long time since we've even had a discussion on a shaky head, yet you go out and just rail them on a shaky head. What makes the jig head technique so effective for you? And maybe walk us through kind of your typical setup. Yeah. So I'm not real sure what the deal is, why they bite it so good. I just know, you know, when we started fishing, my dad, he got us started fishing with it. I mean, when he was young, it just had kind of come out in the early 90s, I would say, mid-90s. And, uh, like, he, he knew some people that, like Craig Daniel and some of them that first started throwing it. So he started us fishing, and I honestly believe it. He just tied us one on because it was so easy. Like, you just tie one knot, you don't have a weight, you don't have a bead, you don't have a hook. You just tie one lure on and throw the worm on there, and it's so simple. And, you know, he's got two or three boys he's taking fishing every day. He, he ain't going to have to deal with it. <laughs> Re-rigging you, worms and weights and hooks the whole time. If you break but off, it, it's it, not it's $5 a bait either, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you can buy them back then. You just bought them in bulk, you know, 100 count bags. It seems like the jig heads were so not what we make now. They were little bitty hooks, two alt hooks. But anyways, they they caught them. I mean, it just, you know, we got bit. And so we just grew up fishing it here at Smith and everything else we tried. But I mean, nothing compared to it. And still today, I go down there today and that's the only thing I'll throw 90% of the time because, I mean, they bite it. I tell Matt all the time, Matt Lee, he's my buddy. He tries to fight it, fight it all the time. I'm like, Matt, don't fight it. Just accept it. They bite the thing. So we get up there and, you know, we I start tossing it around because that's what I do at Smith. And, you know, you can skip it. You know, you can't really skip a Texas rig as good. As you can, you know, a solid bait like a jig or a jig head, and you put like a, you know, a five inch. I was throwing a jackal flick shape. It's like a six eight, but I was biting it down to about five inches. And the reason I was biting it down is because you can skip it, and you know, if you put like a cinco style bait on there, you can skip that thing so easy with an eighth ounce or a three sixteenth ounce head. And so I really wanted to be able to skip it around those dots. So that was that setup. And then the rod and reel I use on it, um, I use a Saint Croix seven one medium heavy. It's a legend elite spinning rod it's a seven one and then like a, th- a size 30 quantum smoke spinning reel and i use 30 pound braid it's cigar smackdown if people really want to know the exact name and then th- cigar smackdown and then a 12 pound cigar 
a Brazex leader, or and then I use Red Label as also. I use Red Label if it's like more like I'm throwing it straight into brush or I know I'm going to be over a cable because it's, you know, a bigger diameter line. But that was the setup on the shaky head. Like I said, an eighth ounce or three sixteenths. But that setup, that rod reel line, that's the setup I use no matter what I'm fishing around, whether it be brush or offshore, dock, shallow. The only thing I change is if I go shallow, I'll use an eighth ounce. And then if I'm deeper, I'll use, you know, a quarter or five sixteenths. But the jig head itself is a homemade jig head. Now, the, you know, we make our own. My brother does most of the time. And uh, it's just a four-all longer shank hook, so we can use a trick worm or, you know, like I said, the six-eight or five-eight foot shank, you know, whatever worm you want to use. And you want a little bit longer shank hook just to get in a little bit more of that worm, just like a lighter wire hook, so it's not really, you know, affecting the way the bait works. Jesse, and, quick question you know, like on, a, you were talking about the rod and reel setup. Do you think it's imperative to throw it on a spinning reel versus a bait caster? The way I was fishing it, like around those docks and the way we fish it here, you know, we're constantly casting around dock cables and yes, because you can skip it so much easier. And then also you can work the bait way better. In my opinion, you know, you're sitting there with your, with a spinning rod, you know, you can shake it and without moving it. And with a bait caster, it just seems to overpower it a lot. Now, if you're fishing offshore, you know, three quarter ounce shaky head, half ounce with a big worm and you're more just more dragging it than you are shaking it. Yeah, you can use a bait caster. But if you're you know, using it as a finesse technique, you really I think you need to use a spinning rod. It just seems like you work the bait so much better. And then, like I said, if you're casting around those targets like that, you absolutely have to because you can skip it yeah. and like everything works so much easier yeah. if you had it on a bait cast around those docks i mean you'd be picking out backlashes the whole time because you had to skip it so much but yeah that was the setup on that and i've always used a spinning rod with it and i mean like i said we grew up using spinning rods so i'm very comfortable with it and feel like there's more advantages to it than there are disadvantages jesse you started to get into that custom uh type of head that that you put together there at the house obviously you mentioned you know a medium wire hook seems critical you know if an angler goes to the local tackle store you know you're going to see lots of different styles of shaky head you've got some with the little spring that you screw the plastic mm-hmm. onto you've got some that just have a little um keeper that you slide it above that little keeper to hold it and it kind of creates a little bit of a kink in the worm you know kind of a little yep. strange little bend in to it you've got round heads you've got football style shaky heads when you're talking about that custom head that you have there at the house dive a little bit deeper into the details of why you feel like the spring is good or bad or the kind that you just slide the worm up the shank of the hook shaft to get it to hold how is your setup and what experience have you had tells you that this is the way it should be yeah so the kind we use are definitely the collar style you slide them up not the spring style now they're starting to make some now where the spring actually wraps around the shank of the hook right i've seen those and i think yeah i don't know ours ain't like that but i think that works as well and it probably works for ours but ours is the collar style like you said you know you slide it up onto the collar of the head and like you said it makes that bend in that worm it makes like an s shape and right. that that s shape is what makes the, the shaky head do like what it does a jig head because not i'd say 80 percent of the time really just depends on kind of what you're fishing but most of the time the fish are going to bite it on the fall like i would say especially if they're spawning or they're shallow they're going to bite it on that initial fall. Well, you want that S in that worm, that S bend, because it's going to circle while it's sinking. It's not going to just glide down. If you get those screw locks, it's just one straight, 
you know, it's, it is. It makes rigged. the worm. Ex- yeah, is, I know exactly what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, it makes the worm. Straight yeah. inline rig. Yep. And it's just going to glide down. Now, that will definitely get biased. I'm not going to say it don't work. Sure. But I like mine to spiral. And if you get that S, you know, in your worm, it's going to be more spiral than it is just gliding. So, and if I want it to glide, I'll actually use the old school slider head. And that is a really good technique as well. Like, you know, when it gets really, really tough in the fall or stuff, we'll use a slider as well. But And the old school slider head ones, has the has the little yeah. bend. It's it's actually got like a regular worm hook. It's got like a little bend. Yeah, it's that, got like a Texas holds. rig right. style. I call it yeah. Texas rig where it's straight. There you go. And it and that makes it glide, like it slides down. Ours, you know, it's like I said, it's it's the collar style. You push the worm up onto the collar. And, you know, we use a good chunk of worm that we slide up on it, and it makes that bend in the worm. So I think that's definitely getting, that gets bites on the fall with it spiraling like that because it's just something a little different. You know, but usually they see something that goes up there and it just sinks straight down. But they see that sinking slow spiral, you know, you definitely get more bites, I believe. And, and I guess you're going to fight a little then, bit of line twist on that kind of deal. Is that right? Yeah, it it will a little bit, but it ain't it ain't nothing that you know you have to deal with much. Like I've never had a real problem with it. But right. I mean, I say it, it probably is not going to spiral, but you know, four or five times while it's sinking. It just depends on how deep it is. Braid probably helps you know eradicate yeah. some of that too, right? Yes. yes, it does very much so. Like it'll it'll be almost none. You can't literally tell with a braid. That's why I think it's key to throw braid with it as well. I mean, obviously you get so much more feel, but any kind of line twist, all that, so much easier to use, hundred percent. And then the head, like I said, it's a ball head. It's just a round head. And then the normal size we throw is three sixteenths. I'd say eighty percent of the time. And then if I'm like six or eight foot or shallower, I'll go with an eight. Or if I'm, you know, twenty five or thirty foot, I'll I'll use a quarter most of the time. But like I said, it's that ball head, and then the line tie is a vertical line tie, and that vertical line tie is going to keep you from getting hung a, a bazillion times better than that than that horizontal line tie we figured that out also and that's just comes from years of throwing it i mean you're still going to get hung because it's a lead-headed jig but it's not going to be as bad with that vertical line tie so when you're talking about the line tie you're actually talking about the eye that's coming out of the jig like it at 90 degrees versus a 45 or 60 degree so yeah ours is about i would say it's it's about Eight sixty, probably about eighty degrees, seventy, eighty degrees. So it's almost straight up and down. Almost, but it ain't completely straight. It ain't, and that ninety degree definitely gets bites. I mean, it's probably get, but you stay hung up so much with a ninety degree tie because you're just pulling it right against the cover, and nothing can slide over it, you know. Yep. But that little bend we have in it, the actual mold says sixty degree. But it's, I think it's more like a 75, but you get way more jig heads back if you, yeah. if you use a little bit of bend. It kind of depends on how you 90, set it in that mold, too, a little bit, I would assume, how you set the hook up in there. Yeah, so our head all goes all the way up to the hook. I like that that style, really. It, it seems like that helps keep you getting hung as much as well. The hook, awesome. you know, the hook is just right up against the weight. Very so, cool. All right, Jesse, we got to take a quick break for a moment. We're going to power pull down. We're going to return with MLF BB Tangler Jesse Wiggins on Shaky Head Fishing 101 right here in the Featured Angler Spotlight. Stay tuned. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the power pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift. 
PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to eight feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio presented in part by Mercury Marine returns with MLF BPT champion Jesse Wiggins. Mercury Marine, go boldly. Jesse, we broke down size, styles prior to the break. How about styles and types of plastic? You mentioned, you know, that jack-all flick shake, you know, kind of working that down. You like the the thickness, I think, uh, of that style bait because it skips a lot easier. What other plastic presentations do you find are effective and do you use on your shaky head fishing? Yeah, so I've actually rigged everything on it. You can take a cross, you know, whatever it may be, med rig. I mean, I, you can you can re- literally put anything on there and get by. But I would say 90% of the time, most of the time, we're using some kind of trick worm style worm. Like, it would be a zoom trick worm or that, like I said, that jackal flick shake. The 5.8 is actually a lot thinner than the 6.8. So if it's a like more clear water type stuff, spotted bass, I'll use that. The 5.8 flick shake on mine, and then if you know if I'm in dirtier water or if I'm around fish or fish that you know you're trying to target a lot bigger ones and there's a lot of small ones like at Ozarks, there was a bazillion 10 inch fish in that lake. I mean, you get, almost <laughs> got about every single cast. One was pecking on your jig head. Like there was so many times I would just shake them off because you could tell they were tiny. So I started using that bigger worm like a Cinco style, like the, the 6.8 and biting it down to five inches. And like you said, it, it does skip better too, like around those dog cables. So any kind of five to seven, eight inch worm is all we use on it. I would say 90% of the time. And now if you get up to the Tennessee River, Chickamauga, you know, Gunnersville, all them, you know, we throw the big mag trick on it that's when it really gets fun when they start biting that mag trick and we we actually throw it down here some too at night but that's when i'll i'll throw that magnum trick on there and we do upsize our hook on that one we make one with a five ball in it a little bit thicker wire and uh it's actually an awesome hook for that mag trick as well but that's when we'll throw it and uh that's a fun bite when they get on that mag trick so but that's about it i mean just some kind of worm is is about all we put on it do you get crazy on color options, or you got three or four basics you use all the time? Yeah, um, I don't think color matters as long as it's some kind of green pumpkin. So. <laughs> the standard <laughs> answer, I love it. I love yeah, it. I mean, we really don't. I mean, that's all we throw. If you look in my bag, I mean, I got a bazillion packs of green pumpkin, whether it be purple, green, blue. It don't matter. This is always green pumpkin. It comes down to green pumpkin. The only thing I will say that matters is that, that I've found so far in my career is Ross Barnett, you have to throw June bug on that lake or you won't get a bite. Same Because <laughs> I tried green pumpkin half the day one day, didn't get a bite. I was like, I'll try the June bug. And it was like bites every other cast. And I'm like, Lordy mercy. So I didn't know it mattered until that lake. So it definitely matters. I'm not going to say it don't, but sure. I would say most of the time it, it's some kind of version of green pumpkin. And then you get into the, the chartreuse dyes and, and, and these kinds of little options, depending on bait fish and, and this type of thing, I assume, as well. Yeah, every now and then I, I'll dip the tail in it, but I would say I would go with 95% of the time I don't mess with it. I just throw it straight green. You know, uh, what here growing up, if you ever started dying your tail, all you did was catch little bitty ones. Like, that's all you did was catch 10 inches. So we kind of quit messing with it. And But it does work. I'm not going to tell people it don't work. It definitely, sure. you know, it has its advantages. So I keep some in the boat. 
but most of the time it's just straight colored wine. Yeah, that's just me trying to pry into the Wiggins' head on this chicken. Yeah. <laughs> that's good to know good to know you'll, you'll find Jesse that Kurt and I are very selfish it's all about the two of us and increasing our knowledge base <laughs> uh, hey let's talk about the other side of the boat what if what if you're fishing in deeper water talk to me about what you do differently or do you do anything differently yeah it'll be the same setups for deeper water but you know the same rod reel line and then like I was talking about earlier just the jig head we'll just use a little bit heavier jig head just you know you're not waiting for an hour to hit the bottom you know, whether it be a quarter or five sixteenths, like up at Gunnersville and showing chicken mine and stuff, we'll use a five sixteenth in the current and stay if, if there's you know, if they're pulling current, just keeps it on the bottom a little better. But yeah, yeah. really not much different. I mean, because the, the thing about growing up on Smith, you know, you, on your cast, you know, if you're fishing a point or something, you throw it up there, your bait lands in 10 or eight, and by the time you get to the boat, your you're bait's in 25. So we're really we're fishing deep the really the, i guess you consider it deep the whole time so you got to have a bait that works in 10 foot and 20 so we'll use you know that's why we use that 316 a lot because it's kind of in the middle and uh you know you don't have to you can fill the bait once you get way out there and stuff like that so that's what a lot of people don't realize they're like are you fishing in 10 or are you fishing 25 well we threw it in 10 by the time we got in the boat it was in 20 so you know <laughs> yeah. you're really fishing in all of it yeah. That's why we use that three sixteenths the most. Let's break down for the listeners one other quick thing on this, and that's hook set. How important is the hook set, and and what's your preferred style and why? Yeah, so that's what I think. It. I've had a lot of people, you know, ask me about why are they losing so many fish on a shaky head, and I mean the main. I think the main reason is because they're not they don't set the hook hard enough. I mean, if you think about it, it's just a jig. All it is is a jig, and you're not going you're not just going to reel into them with a jig. Like nobody does that. So why not, you know, use a, a line and a rod and a reel that, that's stiff enough or, you know, the rod's stiff enough and the line's strong enough to set the hook. Because, like I said, you ain't going to reel into them with a jig or just lean into them. You're going to give them the wood. So that's the same way we look at it with a shaky head, no matter if they're in a foot of water or, you know, 25 foot. I mean, we reel down, get all the slack out, set the hook, you know, pretty much as hard as we can. And, you know, and then just have a good drag on your spinning reel where ours always slips a little when, when we set the hook. So when you set the hook, your drag is going to slip, but, you know, you're definitely bringing enough power to, to set that hook into the fish. And, you know, we don't lose many. I mean, that's another reason I try to throw it in our big tournaments. If, if, if I can get on that bite at all, it's because I feel like if I get a bite, I'm going to catch him. So, like I said, I mean, we bring the wood, like, just like you're throwing a jig, but, you know, obviously you got a spinning rod, but. You can jerk with a spinning rod just as easy. Yeah. Before, Jesse, we roll into a listener question segment here, is there a season or behavioral pattern during a year you find traditional shaky heading as a must technique and kind of why it's most effective that time of year? I would say uh, definitely around the spawn, it's like around here, it's, it's phenomenal. All the lakes I fish around here, you know, you can't beat it, especially if you're fishing for fish that are spawning, but you can't see them like at Ozarks and then like we do here. Like there's not many baits that beats it in my opinion. And then obviously if you're fishing brush piles, it's a must. And then post-spawn, you know, brush piles, ledges. And then in the fall, I don't think it's as big as a player in the fall because the fish kind of get so suspended around here that we don't catch as many on it. Obviously we catch some early in the morning maybe on it, like first stop or so. But after that, it, it's it's not really a player around here in the fall. But I would say definitely any time from, you know, wintertime all the way through the post-spawn, it's always on the front deck of our boat. 
Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think that fall time of year becomes so bait fish heavy. It's, it's uh, tough to yep. get, you know, those vertical or bottom presentations going as well as those horizontal type techniques. Yep. I agree. I agree. Right. Yeah, when it gets fall here, you know, like I said, our first initial stop, you know, you catch some on a worm, like when they're still on bottom when it's dark. But then after that, it's all swim bait, spy bait, top water, dirt bait, all that kind of stuff. Like you said, horizontal stuff. Very cool. All right. We're going to move into the Nitro Performance Bass Boats listener question. A buddy of mine, Stevie Rodriguez, from right here in Del Rio, Texas, he shot this. Uh, we chatted about this, man. And, and he's got a great question here. When you're fishing rock, obviously, you did that at Lake of the Ozarks. we got a lot of that down here at Amistad. You do it all day long there at your home lake in Smith and uh, um, you know, you speak of transition banks. I heard you mention this and heard Rob Newell mention this a lot there at mm-hmm. that Lake of the Ozarks Bass Pro Tour event. What are the styles of transitions you see being most effective and are or how are they determined based on time of year? So pretty much here on our lake, there it's all times of the year. You're always looking for, you know, some kind of transition, whether it be where a bluff, you know, turns into gravel or a gravel turns into sand or a bluff turns into riprap, you know, that's obviously, that's always something you look for around here. And a lot of times in other lakes as well, but at Lake of the Ozarks, I mean, it become obvious really quickly. You know, you had a stretch of bluffy type bank or maybe a step bank. And, you know, with all the boat docks at Lake of the Ozarks, there's a ton of riprap also under the walkways uh, where people put in, you know, to keep their bank from washing away. So if that bank had a, a riprap kick out, or just like it were just kind of just something different where it kind of beat out where they dumped all that riprap. There was two or three spawning on it every single time. So you could run down the lake or go into a pocket and you'd see a straight, whether it be a dirt bank or a bluff bank, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what kind of bank it was. If you went in there and you've seen that riprap kick out or, you know, where they had riprap under the dock, for some reason they wanted to be around that. You know, there was a couple times there at the end of the period I'd be fishing, I'd see that across the pocket or, you know, up in front of me and I would just kick it on high and get there real quick because I knew I was going to get a bite. I didn't know if it was going to be big or not or scoreable, but I knew there was going to be you know, one on it. And it was every single one of them. So it just goes down to, you know, being able to pinpoint quicker bites. And they always want to be on something that's different than what they're around. I mean, that's obvious. Like if you got a stretch of bluff and there's one lay down, of course, you're, that's where the fish is going to be is on that lay down. Or if you're, you know, if you're on a stretch of bank and it's got one boat dock, obviously. So if they got something different and it just comes down to the same type thing or like it is anywhere else, if you got something different, there's, there's fish around it. And it's the same way with that, that rock transition. And then it don't matter whether you're, like I said, if it's sand of chunk rock or chunk rock to bluff or sand to riprap, just something different. And, I mean, for some reason, I've heard the saying, and I, I still use it, is you don't know, you ain't got to know why they're there. You got to know that they're there. That's kind of how I look at it. That's actually great advice. And a lot of times, you know, Jesse, you can't see those little outcroppings until you're you're actually going down the bank, right? You say you kick your trolling motor yep. on high, and it's, it's just that little difference maybe where the contour of the shoreline or uh, some of the riprap fell, you know, off the, the the normal pile. But just that one boulder might lead to, a, to an extra keeper, which is huge in your business. Absolutely. That's kind of what we look for, you know, just getting that couple extra bites throughout the day and that's the way it is with any tournament really you know but just noticing little differences along the bank like that and that you know we grew up just fishing the bank we didn't even like i said i didn't have a depth finder until like 2012 so we fished for years just <laughs> wow that's and great i really think that helped me a lot is just you know being able to go down the bank and 
and I've seen it with guide trips like I did used to do a little bit of guiding and I would be with people that didn't fish a lot and, and they didn't know to like throw it at that dark spot over there throw it to that you know you got a whole wall and you only got one rock sticking out you know they don't know to just throw it there and obviously us growing up like it's that's what we target you know I didn't really know people didn't know that and I think it it's more common than not that people don't know that. So anytime you got any kind of thing that's different about, you know, wherever you're fishing, that's where you want to target, you know, that's because that's a lot of times that's where the fish is going to be. Yeah. Good stuff. Knowledge is power. And it right there it is from Jesse Wiggins. Awesome question, Stevie. Uh, we need you to log on to BassEdge.com. Click the claim your prize tab, fill out the information on there, including your address. Let us know you heard Jesse answer your question right here on episode 380. And we are going to get out that uh, Midway USA gift card sent directly to you. And for all listeners, if you haven't checked out Midway USA, be sure to do so. Their pricing, their inventory, everything top notch. And as always, Bass Edge Nation, keep sending in those questions to our Facebook, Instagram pages, or simply go to the Bass Edge website, click on the Ask the Pros tab. If you get your question answered here on the show, we will send you that Midway USA gift card where they have just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors. Well, Jesse, excellent to have you on the show. As Kurt said, uh, long overdue, but you know what? It's kind of like better late than never, and you certainly brought the goods today. As we wrap up here, any last remarks or uh, things you want Bass Edge listeners to know? Yeah, just thank y'all for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for following along, and uh, that's about it. I appreciate it, and uh, catch us all year. Bass Pro Tour, our next event, uh, August the 6th up at Cayuga. Definitely going to be some big fish caught up there. Yeah, Cayuga, you know, we were just talking about that earlier in the show. I think it was the end of June, and now kind of certified and everything, but in eight six smallie how about that dude i've seen that yeah that's <laughs> i've seen that it made me want to run up north real quick we're down here in this 100 degree heat and i would love to be up there right now but Absolutely. Uh, we'll get our chance at it for sure sooner than later you'll be there and uh, we look forward to watching you out there man Cayuga's a, a great fishery and, and some exciting events coming up on the the final uh, few stages of the bass pro tour so we'll be checking you out obviously looking forward to uh, watching your continued success on tour folks hang in there aaron and i will be right back closing out this episode of bass edge radio know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology megaware keel guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWear Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWear Keel Guard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole Power where you need it, power how you need it, power when you need it. 
Kurt, as mentioned in the introduction for both, quite honestly, both Jesse Wiggins and uh, with Russell Marine there. The knowledge base, extreme, resumes, very long, and certainly backed it up with the knowledge and information to prove it. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of uh, hit up on Justin Russell from Russell Marine Products real quick, a little recap on that bit of knowledge, man. The mounting of electronics game, critical, critical. You know, one thing we talked about off air was, you know, weight, weight about, you know, trolling motors, units, how, you know, power poles, how all of this thing is affected speed of our bass boats. And, uh, you know, these mounting units are, are super critical. Obviously, uh, Justin mentioned the, the investment that we have up there. Don't skip on these mounting units. And, and now you've got the knowledge to go out there and peruse many different brands, five, six, seven brands. A couple of them we, we highlighted specifically in the conversation with Justin. And, uh, you know, those, those are highlighted because he's got a lot of uh, experience with those mounts. So um, make sure you check all those out. Justin's got a great handle to answer any questions, further questions you may have with mounting your electronics or setups that you might be looking for. So make sure you check out Russell Marine Products for more information on that. Yeah, and then to be bookended by Jesse Wiggins, um, you know, the guy, one of my favorite lakes, Lake of the Ozarks, you know, he talked about, he was speaking my language, those those dock cables that they spawn under the riprap, right, for the those, uh, retention of, of all of the retaining walls because that is not a core lake that is uh, controlled by Ameren dock holders can build right up to the lake so the right. fact that he picked up on that but then the interesting thing was Kurt that he targeted with a shaky head I mean how long has it been since we've featured you know a whole angler spotlight on breaking down a shaky head yeah man it, you know and, and what a great time of year to do it you know bites get a little bit tougher as you know we're moving into late summer now yeah, I think you start getting some of those bait fish starting to rise this time of year but overall they're still not kind of into that fall mode yet so it's a great opportunity to continue to get some bites in a tough time of year but uh, interestingly enough when a lot of anglers focus on moving baits, covering water, Jesse loves that shaky head in that pre-spawn time frame, man. That's I thought that was the most telling, as well as there's so many styles of heads out there. And dude, he's straight old school, but straight old school for a reason. Not just because, man, it's comfortable, it's what he does, but he likes that little kink. You know, in that worm when he's putting it on the shaft of the, the turn in the hook when he's when he's rigging that shaky head up because it's giving him a little bit more action, man, just making a little bit more natural of a fall. And I think also important, Aaron, weight size. He was pinpoint on his weight size. Yes, did not deviate or stray much off of what uh, he presented there during the interview. And so very insightful, reminding me of a lot of the things uh, of why that bait is so effective. And um, certainly I'm, I'm going to have one tied on more. I kind of got away from that. As, as all yeah. anglers do, I, th I think we tend to something works and then we go to something else. I, I don't know why that is. But in the meantime, Kurt, I know you are southbound uh, heading for ICAST. I look forward to seeing if you get time, maybe you could share some of the posts and some of the things that you're seeing and absolutely uh, we'll do them. that stay on the uh bass edge social we'll, we'll post a, a few things uh you know at least once or twice a day on some sights and sounds of icast 2022 yeah looking forward to that and in the meantime we need to uh, shut this one down but just a reminder to all bass edge listeners uh, really appreciate we know there are multiple sources uh in our space of who you can choose to spend your time with and we want to thank each and every one of you for choosing to spend time with kurt and i here 
on episode 380. Hard to believe, Kurt, but look forward to heading into basically August 1st, the dog days, right, as we like to talk about. But in the meantime, stay up on all things Bass Edge through our social media, BassEdge.com for videos, uh, all things that can be purchased pure clean to Dr. J. McNamara's book of Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. In the meantime, let's shut her down. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. Look forward to seeing everybody August 1st. So long, everybody. is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Midway USA, Mercury Marine, Power Pole, and Transport Graphics.